Hi, this is Terry McCarty, and here's another episode of Reviews and Otherwise. And this time I'm concentrating on the franchise, although I prefer the word series, uh, of the Fast and the Furious, which makes for nine films in the main series, uh, plus the Hobbs and Shaw uh, spinoff from a couple of years ago. And uh, to get things off to a start, uh, it was around, I believe, 20 years ago in, I think, August, when the original film came out. And uh, to give a little bit of an idea of uh, uh, the previous career, the director uh, Rob Cohen, around the late 70s, he wasn't making action pictures, he did a film called A Small Circle of Friends about uh, three college students uh, during the revolutionary years of the late 60s and it had uh, in terms of the titular uh, threesome uh, Brad Davis who was coming off the big commercial if not completely critical success of Midnight Express Karen Allen uh, between uh, Animal House and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and then uh, the third side of the triangle was Jameson Parker, who later became a reasonably big uh, TV series star with uh, the Simon and Simon series on CBS. And I haven't been able to see a Small Circle of Friends, but uh, the trailer is on YouTube, and it, it looks like... Uh, interesting curio certainly and also on YouTube you can find uh, it, the soundtrack album as such never came out but someone made a score faux album of the uh, music cues uh, used in the film and the, and the score was by Jim Steinman who at that time had uh, just come off of uh, the very successful Bad Out of Hell album uh, from Meatloaf. And if you want to hear what, uh, what a movie music score by Steinman is, then check that out. And, and I'm sure that people are more familiar with the other time uh, Steinman did any uh, work for movies and that was uh, Walter Hill's uh, 1984 uh, Streets of Fire which to this day still has an enthusiastic uh, cult following so by the mid 90s uh, Rob Cohen was at Universal and had made the transition to escapist uh, commercial filmmaking and if you haven't seen it I would recommend uh, Dragon which was a 
and autobiography of Bruce Lee, which uh, kept the violence at a, or fighting sequences at least, at a PG-13 level, and has a good performance as Bruce from uh, Jason Scott Lee, and uh, Lauren Holly played the wife of Bruce, uh, Linda. So, by the time we get to Fast and the Furious, uh, here's what I thought of, of the film at the time that, uh, and this is probably less than reverent, uh, it wasn't bad for what it was, but it was kind of like uh, the street racing undercover cop version of uh, Happy Days with uh, Vin Diesel playing Fonzie to Paul Walker's uh, Richie Cunningham, and and certainly, you know, it moved along and and was watchable, especially the uh, uh, racing scenes. And uh, Gary Scott Thompson, I believe, got the main credit for writing, but also David Ayer worked on it. And then later that year, Ayer had his breakout with the Training Day screenplay he wrote and that Anton Fuqua directed and, uh, and Denzel Washington won an Academy Award for uh, playing an uber-bad uh, L.A. cop. So, the first uh, Fast and the Furious also put Neil Moritz, the producer, on the map, and he kind of became the producer du jour of uh, mid-budget films, uh, studio films, both at uh, Universal and Columbia, and uh, he kind of you know, took the position that, like, Robert Simons had in the 90s producing uh, comedies at Universal that range from the Adam Sandler films and most particularly the still occult to this day, uh, Happy Gilmore, and uh, lesser offerings. I forgot this was MGM, the... Dirty Work, uh, which the less said the better, although there's like one very funny scene where Norm MacDonald and Artie Lang know well enough just to lay back in the frame and uh, play straight uh, Don Rickles as a movie theater manager. So at that point, I kind of wasn't interested in the seeing the second uh, Too Fast, Too Furious and, and have not to this day because I had seen uh, John Singleton's uh, version of Shaft, which had Samuel L. Jackson and uh, Christian Bale kind of asked to, you know, repeat a little bit of the Patrick Bateman uh, from American Psycho and uh, I just thought then and maybe uh, recently and, and still now that uh, that uh, John Singleton as a, as, as a director for hire wasn't as interesting as John Singleton making, making his own films. And so I, I passed uh, and then 
Tokyo Drift, uh, uh, the third film, I passed kind of on that too, even though that has apparently a more of a cult following to this day, and it introduced the Han character uh, that's in the more recent films that, uh, well, died and uh, came back to came back to life in F9 and had Lucas Black, who was uh, at that time transitioning to young adult roles. He had been in uh, Billy Bob Thornton's uh, Slain Blade and Tokyo Drift. Uh, in terms of the early ones that I've missed, uh, that one I probably would want to take a look at at some point. Uh, Fast Four. Uh, at this point, we have to explain the uh, career arc of Van Diesel, that after the first Fast, he wanted to go onward and upward, so uh, he and Rob Cohen went onward and upward to uh, the secret agent uh, film Triple uh, X, which I didn't see, but I did see the sequel with uh, Ice Cube and uh, Samuel L. Jackson, which wasn't bad for what it was, and um, um, I guess in that time there was the first of the two Riddick sequels, and eventually uh, Van decided that uh, there were worse things than playing Dom Toretto over and over, and so he came back for the fourth film, which, from what I remember, was just a little more elaborate version of the first, and where the series, as it is now, uh, really begins is Fast Five, and that's it still was a good film on release, uh, still good today, and that's when the most important uh, person to much of the later series comes in, and that's uh, director Justin Lin. And at that time, Lin and the writers uh, reconceived the series from uh, cops and outlaw street racers to what it is today, sort of a blue-collar uh, Mission Impossible uh, by way of Die Hard, where audiences get to uh, live vicariously through people that are still like everyday people. You have the barbecues and things at the at film's end and you can tell that you know they're still like good family uh, folks and uh, are li living in, in uh, gated communities and uh, that's I would think for the audience that's kind of reassuring uh, and and by that point, uh, the series became better and better about uh, representation. And uh, between that film and now, there's uh, less of a sexism. 
uh, that you see kind of more in the first film where like one one character in the cast is just billed as some other male character's babe and um, that's at that point uh, oh sorry but uh, I'll let me just go ahead and jump to uh, Fast 6 which I wasn't as enthused with as Fast 5 which is one of the well, Fast Five probably out of the films I've seen in the in the series, it's the best film. Certainly, uh, Fast Six, maybe not quite so. And probably the highlight of that was the London scene where you see like Vin and uh, as Dom and uh, Michelle Rodriguez as Letty. Uh, chasing around London like uh, and it's a very deftly staged and shot sequence sort of like uh, what Fred and Esther and Ginger Rogers would do if they had muscle cars and episodes of six and or no six okay talked about that seven and eight those I for whatever reason I didn't see. I, I kind of wanted to see Seven because that was the Paul Walker's uh, final uh, film as Brian and uh, and they completed after he passed away. And, and Eight didn't really get to see that either and that was the one that F. Gary Gray did. And the ninth film, uh, Fast Nine, I'll talk about that and uh, Hobbs and Shaw uh, right after this quick break and I'll be right back. Hi, I'm back now and uh, We'll move to Hobbs and Shaw, which is a spin-off of the main uh, canon. And not having seen uh, seven or eight, I'm not as familiar as uh, many of you in the audience that are, are more well-versed in the films about the arc where Jason Statham came in as a villain and then became uh, heroic and uh, and Hobbs and Shaw uh, that was conceived because like apparently Vin Diesel uh, can't accommodate Dwayne Johnson and, and uh, allegedly from the gossip columns about the eighth film it's sort of like that when they have scenes together they weren't uh, in the same place together and, and there was creative editing to uh, make it seem like they were, you know, reacting to each other. And, and uh, so the Hobbs and Shaw, obviously, uh, Dwayne Johnson, uh, that was a good idea for a spinoff to pair him with, uh, with Statham, who's had a little bit of a uh, 
resurgence lately with the Guy Ritchie uh, Wrath of Man and uh, well even before that if you count uh, the, the shark film The Meg and probably the other thing I can recall about Hobbs and Shaw is that they had uh, Idris Elba playing the villain and they had him do a variation of the Who's the bad guy? Oh, that's right, I am. Shtick that uh, Willem Dafoe did uh, memorably in the otherwise not really all that memorable uh, speed to cruise control. And Hobbs and Shaw I liked. I would, I would see a Hobbs and Shaw too if, uh, if the fates allow. And... Uh, so we move on to the current film, uh, Fast Nine, where Justin Lin uh, comes back to the series and basically brings the proceedings full circle by having the flashbacks to Dom as uh, like well, 20, 21 years old, and they and they add a brother unmentioned and they other films uh, played by John Cena and so there's flashbacks uh, sometimes maybe a bit drawn out uh, since you're talking about a film that comes in at 145 minutes and the flashbacks uh, benefit from the two uh, younger actors and also you briefly get to see uh, Michael Rooker as the guardian of sorts of the, of the young character who grows up to be Santa. And otherwise the film itself repeats uh, the motifs that have been popular since Fast Five, uh, exotic locations, uh, accommodating what's now a uh, diverse and quite large uh, cast of characters and elaborate uh, action scenes and uh, probably the most elaborate uh, between the beginning and end ones is the robbery scene that's uh, set in uh, downtown Edinburgh, Scotland, where you, where you get to see uh, Van racing and then uh, Sena or Sena's stunt doubles on a, on a zip line, uh, just, you know, cruising from building to building, and, uh, but uh, it's Let's say the uh, beginning action set piece and the one that involves like uh, Vin and Michelle and uh, hooking a car to hurdle it uh, after some of the other characters, including like Tyrese and uh, Chris, Ludicrous Bridges, uh, uh, drive across a disintegrating bridge, which is like a that little bit of it in itself is a pretty decent set piece, sort of. Uh, reminiscent of uh, toward the end of what Spielberg was doing in uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and 
but the whole thing of uh, where the Vin and Michelle car gets hooked to a, and they kind of like do the what's known for the later series as willful suspension of disbelief uh, regarding uh, physics created by computer-generated imagery. And, and, well, basically it's a, it's a slingshot-type stunt, and it's that. And then I would think toward the end there's a sequence with a truck that looks like it's about five tons, uh, stands, stands up vertically before it uh, crashes to the street, and I, presuming that may be a stunt that's not CGI, and either way it's impressive, uh, but um, with Fast and the Furious 9, and this may be a, like a odd comparison to make, it's done uh, reasonably well, and but it, in some ways, you with a series uh, of movies with longevity uh, and trying to keep things fresh, it, it sometimes reminds you of, uh, and I'm old enough to remember the 80s, uh, so like the Police Academy series where, you know, increasingly uh, as those films went on, and I, I didn't really see the Hugh Wilson uh, raunchy one, but the, the later ones, which when they decided just to make them like silly slapstick uh, family comedies, uh, where as the entries in the series go on, there's this tendency to want to uh, have, you know, uh, signature character moments uh, done like over and over and over and over uh, and you kind of see some some of that here like the ludicrous and uh, Tyrese uh, relationship and banter and um, maybe the maybe the one thing that's a little bit fresher is that uh, Jordana Brewster comes back as uh, as the wife of uh, Paul Walker because in the world of the series uh, Brian Brian's not dead he just doesn't uh, wants to you know stay home and not uh, be risking things and taking care of the family and but Jordana Brewster and uh, uh, Michelle Rodriguez, they do at least uh, get to face off against bad guys in a, in a fight scene, and, the, and of course the uh, Sun Kang, uh, uh, the Han character comes back from the dead, and he has a foster daughter, and and that's supposed to be the the uh, Tokyo part of it, and I don't know if they went to Tokyo for it or just. Settle for the settle for a studio back lot, but um, 
the fight uh, stuff is uh, choreographed well, and to sum up, it uh, should have been probably closer to like 125, 130 minutes than 145, because uh, that, that does uh, put a lot of uh, strain on the audience and, and people start to think, uh, well, is this, is, counting the flashbacks, is this all the kind of story we're, we're getting for this length? And, um, and maybe it's probably time to either bring younger characters in or split the franchise off into different uh, character entries and uh, emulate Marvel and, and uh, have a uh, fast and uh, furious uh, cinematic universe, which, you know, building on uh, what they were trying with the uh, Hobbs and Shaw spinoff. And I guess one last thing I could say is... It's nice to see movies, uh, you know, where they just do representation and uh, and it's you know, still kind of not, you see it more in the American films, uh, studio and indie, but uh, in some ways you don't quite uh, see it enough, but just the fact that you have a, you know, universe where people uh, get along and, uh, you know, where it, where it is of, of all different ethnicities. It's, it's a work family, it's family family, and, uh, and that's something to be uh, commended. And uh, on a personal note, uh, I have to get... Uh, bone marrow transplant uh, pretty soon and uh, so this is the last movie I've seen or will be seeing in a theater for quite a bit and it's nice to go to the movies and even though with the pandemic guidelines as they are now uh, the we want the honor system stuff in spite of the possibility, especially in southern states or other states that uh, balk at uh, vaccination, the possibility that the Delta variant uh, could uh, be an upsurge in infections. But the fact of just, you know, being in a theater, wearing a mask, uh, so that way protecting myself and but being able to watch you know escapism on a big screen and go out to a movie again uh, that's that's good to, and uh, will hopefully hold me over until I feel better in a couple of months uh, after recovery recovering from the transplant and uh, having to stay in the house because of the transplant 
and worrying about uh, immunity and blood, white blood cells and, and other stuff. So, as Mr. Diesel said in his uh, AMC ad, it's nice to be back at the movies. And anyway, time for me to go ahead and uh, close this episode. And uh, if you like what you're hearing, then please uh, recommend it on the social media platform of your choice. And uh, also... Don't be afraid to uh, post uh, links to this uh, and tell your tell your friends. And I'll be before the transplant takes place. There'll probably be one or two more episodes for for me to do. And I did say I was going to talk about uh, Nicole Regal's new film Holler which I like and it's one of the better uh, independent films uh, so far this year and also uh, may get into talking about some of what's going to be both uh, TV and theaters uh, coming up this weekend and the next and uh, thanks so much for listening and uh, Hopefully see you later this week. Thanks again. Bye.